0: and of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week. Thank you, Greg. Well, now I know why people are breaking eye contact with me on Sunday morning based on what I just learned. You guys are afraid I'm going to ask you to read and put a microphone in your hand? And uh, some of you aren't even answering my text when I reach out now, so at least that's, I'm going to comfort myself with that thought. Hey, if you're joining us uh, right here on our campus or on our live stream, I want to say welcome to you. And if you're a guest with us today and you don't know me, my name's Britt. I serve Sunridge as the lead pastor, and I'd like to be one of the many, hopefully, who have welcomed you already to Sunridge. So welcome to Sunridge. And I do need a table. Thank you, Jed. (laughs) So as good Protestants... um, I know that we're very, very leery of anyone who talks about the need to add to our faith. I mean, we are saved by grace through faith alone people, right? And we're just cut out of the same cloth as Martin Luther. When in 1517, he nailed his 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Church. We picture ourselves right beside him there handing in the nails, right? But there's a big difference between genuine faith and vibrant faith at least that's what peter said in his second letter that in this part of it that greg just read the apostle there wrote to the first century christians and he said that we're to make every effort which interpreted means to make a great effort to add seven virtues to our faith now it's not in any saving capacity But Peter says we should build upon our faith. And if we don't build on our faith, Peter said that we are in danger of being ineffective and unfruitful. In other words, you'll have faith, you'll have salvation, but that's all you'll have. It won't make a difference in you. And because that's so, it won't make a difference in in anybody around you either. In fact, they may not even know that you're a Christian. Maybe someone has said that to you before when you've outed. It's like, oh, I didn't know you were a Christian. Sometimes that's a good thing. I don't know. Sometimes it's a bad thing. It kind of depends. The worst thing of all is, if, um, is that someone would have the entirely wrong idea about what a Christian is because of how we live. So that... These virtues that Peter identifies, these seven virtues, they lead to an enhanced faith, a vibrant faith, and a fruitful faith. And what we've been doing, if you're just joining us, is taking one at a time of the seven. And last week, we talked about goodness. Today, obviously, we're going to talk about the next one. So here's the main thought for today. If you want a faith that is vibrant and fruitful, then make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge. So, what is knowledge? Well, today we're going to see it's not just to be educated, but being educated is critical. It's not just read the Bible, although you're going to see that Scripture is very, very important. And it's not just about intelligence either, but it does involve using our brains as Christians. Because you know that we can know Scripture In fact, we can have advanced degrees in Scripture and be really, really smart and yet not possess knowledge in the sense that Peter is describing here. When we're talking about knowledge as Peter uses it, and this is in your notes already, knowledge is this. The the Greek word is gnosis, it means to possess the right information in order to know the difference between good and evil, right from wrong, and what is true. And what is not true. And in his commentary on 2 Peter, Douglas Moo, professor at Wheaton College, uh, takes his take on this, reinforces that same view. I'm gonna put the quote up here. Knowledge can apply to almost any arena of life. Here, obviously, it has a religious application, since it comes in the middle of this list rather than its beginning. It probably does not refer to that basic, intimate knowledge of God that defines who we are in Christ. Here, it most likely refers specifically to the ability to discern God's will and orient one's life in accordance with that will. So in other words, the way Peter here is using the word knowledge, it's about possessing knowledge, the right knowledge, and having the capacity to live it out. So let's, today, that's what we're going to talk about. Let's talk about adding knowledge to our faith. Okay, And first of all, Here's a newsflash for all of us. Are you ready for this? This is going to be in your notes. Knowledge is acquired by learning. <laughs> I'm, I'm off with a bang here, right? Look, the only way to acquire knowledge is to actually pursue it. We don't gain it by osmosis. We can't just sit back and let it happen, Captain. If, for instance... If I'm gonna have a medical procedure, which is becoming more common these days, I want that physician that's gonna work on me to have studied medicine, to have knowledge about their field, to have submitted themselves to the rigors of education and evaluation and examination. So if I were to ask someone that was gonna do a procedure on me or for me, I asked them, what did you do to become a physician If they said, well, I read a lot of memes on it, (laughs) or they said, I followed some of my favorite physicians on Twitter, or um, I went for walks and I thought about medicine as I walked, or I listened to songs about medicine, or maybe worst of all, I've done my own research about medicine and I have my personal beliefs about it. (laughs) That's not the person we want working on us, right? we want them to have some knowledge. So knowledge in Christian faith is acquired just like any other field of study, through study. And doesn't it make sense that the knowledge we acquire be subjected to evaluation and conversation and assessment whenever possible? That's what it means when Peter says to make every effort to add knowledge to your faith. Now, If that's true, then it follows that knowledge must come from the right sources. It has to come from the right sources. Wouldn't you agree that today it has become increasingly difficult to tell what is actually true about anything? Vaccines. Elections. Is coffee and wine good for you or not? Thank God we... Still have Google to confirm all of this on. Or even better, Twitter or Instagram, the source of all knowledge. See, you remember in the old days, can I go back a little bit? In the old days, when you wanted to know something about a topic, you went to, at school. Where did you go? You went to the library. That's Remember the library? And... Um, you would go there and the, the librarian would be there. Anybody a librarian still? That job just like passed away, didn't it? It's like nobody eh. anyway, the Anyway, libra- you would go to the librarian and say, I'm trying to learn about X. And the librarian would say, okay, the, here's, here's how you find out about this. And they would start to give you some sources to look at and as they, they would say, come with me. And they'd even point out the books. And they'd say, okay, if you're wanting to know about this, you know, here's, here's the dilemma on that. Here's how people think about it. There's two sides to it, often they would say. And then they would say, okay, so this person holds this position, and here are their credentials. This is what they've done in the field, and this is what they're going to tell you, so I suggest this to you. And then they would say, okay, and here's another person who has all these great credentials, and they think differently about it. So I would suggest that you take these two books and, like, study them. Remember those days? So... See, the, the reason why I'm kind of poking fun at that is the source of our information is as important as the effort we put into acquiring it. And this same knowledge, this same logic um, applies to gaining Christian knowledge. And I'm, I'm going to put uh, Psalm 1, the first psalm in the book of Psalms in your Old Testament, and, I'm gonna read, and I want to read these words to you. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Now, when you see that psalm, just leave it up there for a little while. Do you see two different sources of information? The psalmist says that there are, you can get your information from sinners, as the psalmist puts it, or the law of the Lord. And I want you to see, like, there's even a progression here. Do you see it? You uh, walk and step with the wicked. Then you stand in the way. And then eventually you take a seat. So the psalmist there is kind of laying out two sources that we have for the knowledge that we're going to gain. And the the one that is blessed by God is the one that meditates, which indicates effort, right? On his law, day and night. You see, we have lots of options for our source of knowledge. And there is no guarantee that just because I believe in Jesus, that the source of knowledge that I choose will be the best choice for me when it comes to being a Jesus follower and emulating his life and demonstrating these virtues that Peter is highlighting for us. And this is a really common dilemma for us today. You know, sometimes the Bible uh, talks about Scripture as if it were food. Not just knowledge for the brain, but like food for the soul. And I, and I think the Bible does that because some of us connect more directly to that, not just like, you know, put the right stuff in your brain. But we, we have this obvious physical connection between what we take in in our bodies and what happens to our bodies. And in Peter's first letter, he talks about gaining knowledge in that way. And in 1 Peter 2.2, 2, he says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. So, I mean, you're gathering. It's like, you, do you see that analogy that he's drawing? As a, as a Christian, especially a new Christian, we're like a baby. And we're to be intaking something, which is necessary for our growth. And the, and what, the way Peter describes what they're taking in is pure spiritual milk. So, how important is diet to an infant? How important is it to the development of that child? And what does growing up look like if we don't get the nutrients we need early on? And the connection I think, Peter's able to go with the the knowledge part in the brain, but also like the explanation of the soul in our growth. Our souls are very much like our bodies and what you feed it affects you greatly. And a poor diet, over a long period of time causes all kinds of physical problems that cannot be turned around in a month of vitamins and kale. So what are those knowledge sources that are going to grow us? What are the, where are we going to get the knowledge that is going to develop a vibrant, meaningful, and fruitful faith so that we look like the image of God that we look like and are growing into a person who represents the character of Christ well i'm glad you asked the first is very obvious what do you think it is the bible right so you already have your first fill in the blank on this part of the what are the where are we going to get this knowledge obviously from the bible this book that we talk about is inspired as christians reliable Miraculously in my belief preserved over the centuries is God's written voice and it is the source of knowledge Proverbs 2:6 The Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding So where are we most likely to encounter the words of God and the wisdom of God that comes from his mouth The Bible and, you know, we Christians, we, we claim to believe these things that I've already said, that the Bible is God's word. And most of you uh, that, are, that are Christians here today, um, you believe that the Bible is divinely inspired, you believe it's reliable, you believe it's authoritative, and it's the primary source of our knowledge. Okay, but here, here it is. Like, I love you guys, right? You love me too, right? Okay. Are we reading it? OK, three of us are reading it. <laughs> We're on our way. Now, in the past, I've showed you statistics of, you know how bi- biblical literacy is declining in the world, and certainly in America, and not just in people in general. There's something special that, that we need to note, but with people who identify as a Christian. And in a recent Lifeway research study, they found that over 45 percent the people who regularly attend church, these regular attenders, you know, once every two months, read the Bible more than once a week. 45%. But over 40% of the Bible who attend church regularly read their Bible occasionally, once or twice a month. And 20% of the churchgoers say they never even read the Bible. Now remember Remember here that the stats are far worse for someone who doesn't attend church regularly. You know, the American Bible Society every year conducts research, and they put out a study that's called the State of the Bible. And when they do that, they use two descriptor phrases. I'm going to give them two. There's Bible engaged, and that describes people who interact with the Bible frequently in a way that ultimately leads to some life transformation. And then two, there are the Bible disengaged. People who interact with the Bible infrequently, if at all, and it has a minimal impact on their lives. So, aren't you interested in how that breaks down among different demographics in America today? I know you are. You want to know this. What about between men and women? Okay, here it is. 27% of American women are Bible engaged compared to 24% of men. Come on, guys. It's right there. We can, we can catch them by next year. <laughs> Reel them in. Okay. What about political affiliation? Oh, don't get too excited here. Because Bible disengaged is the most common category for all American adults from all political affiliations. But if, in case you want to know, of those who are not registered to vote, of them can be described as Bible disengaged. Of independents, 52% disengaged. Of Democrats, 47%. And Republicans, 35%. So, Republicans right now are saying, see, I told you so. (laughs) Right? But here's something really interesting, okay? Now, you already said that you guys love me and I love you. And we're a happy family, something like that. (laughs) Some things you can't get out of your head, like Barney. So, okay. So, those who are Bible-engaged are more likely to welcome immigrants to their community, befriend people of other races, befriend people of other religions, care for the environment, advocate for those who are oppressed by society. Is that what we're seeing today? You guys still okay? So, what's happening? I think it's worth to ask the question, just to ask it for each of us. What is the source of my knowledge that I am adding to my faith? As I said, there are many, many options that we have today. And it's one of the reasons why I'm just so committed to us being Bible-centric here we don't worship the Bible the Bible is not our God we worship Jesus but the Bible is super important for us to know the Jesus of the Bible because like Paul said in Ephesians 5 17 we don't want to be foolish but we want to understand what the will of the Lord is now I'm not saying that those of you listening right now that I want to turn you into a Bible nerd you know, for you should know if, about me that I haven't always been a full-time pastor. I worked in the real world, and I, and I think I understand the realities and the tensions and the complexities of trying to be a person of faith, engaging in that faith, and like having all the pressures of an executive job or, you know, any, any kind of job. But I can honestly say, and I think that Cindy will, you know, corroborate on this, now that I put her on the spot, she has to, but... Um, I, um, I was consistent in all the years that I was fireman or fire chief in engaging in the Bible. I spent regular time in the Scripture, and it has guided me so many times in my life. And that has made a huge difference. And in those moments when, the, when I realized that the Bible was not guiding me, I usually regretted it it wasn't the right kind of knowledge. Now I know that like for a lot of us, like just reading the Bible, it's like it's a big challenge because it's, it's an old book, you know? Who sits down to read a 2,000 year old book, you know, just for you know kicks and giggles, you know? I mean, has anyone picked up Homer's Odyssey lately? Just to, like some casual reading? I doubt it. The Bible started in a different language, different culture, different time. If you, f- if you find it hard to read your Bible, you don't have to raise your hand right now. We say, we say this constantly here, like there's a free app called YouVersion. Get that, get that app. I wonder, how many of you have that app on your phone or your device? Yeah, it's a great, I mean, there are a million Bible reading plans in there that can just get you started. There's, there's so many options like Daily Bread that you, know, you can get in a little booklet form, you can get it online digitally. Read the Gospels. Don't start in the Old Testament and Genesis and, or Exodus or, or Leviticus. Don't start there. Like, read John's Gospel. It's the, it's the life of Jesus. Or read Proverbs, because you're going to gain wisdom from doing that. I think I've shared before that um, I, I have a friend. He's still a friend, so I want you to know I have a friend. Um, that's the important part for you to remember who, for whom reading the Bible was really difficult. And they, he, him and his wife were in our life group. And they, um, he said, you know, the thing that competes with me reading the Bible in the morning is a sports page. He says, that's the first thing I grab out of the newspaper. And I put it on my, you know, my seat in my, in my truck, in the bench seat. And like, I, I pick it up throughout the day and, and I read it. So the next week, you know, we were in this thing at Sunridge where we we're having specific readings every week. And I took a sports page And I cut out all the passages and I stapled them inside of the sports page in different pages. And then I gave it to him. And you know, he said that that was the first week in his life that he read the Bible every day. So if you have to get the sports page and cut passages out and stick it in there or put it in People Magazine or whatever it is, like, do it. The point here is read your Bible. That is the source of knowledge. Now, that was so obvious. And I want you to know it's like as we click through these, these sources of knowledge, they're going to get less and less obvious. But they're important and they contribute to us gaining the kind of knowledge that Peter talks about. Number two is people. People. That is your church. If all you do is read your Bible, that's better than not reading your Bible. But you know if you just read your Bible and you you don't process it with others, if you don't talk about your faith with others and the things that you're learning, your knowledge is going to be limited. It's going to be narrow. And it's going to be very easy for you to fall into just an echo chamber. Because God designed us to grow and to learn alongside other people. People enhance our spiritual growth. They contribute. To our knowledge. The best learning happens in community. And that's true of all human beings. Regardless of the topic even. Because knowledge comes from people too. So we need as Christians. We need those spiritual conversations with one another. Here's another great verse from Proverbs. Which I already mentioned. Proverbs 18.15. The heart of this discerning acquires knowledge. For the ears of the wise seek it out. The ears of the wise person seek out knowledge, which means listening to others, taking that posture, because it's really easy to get narrow-minded or to get for um, pride to get in our way. And to think, well, I read it here, and my favorite person said it was true. But, you know, the real test of whether we're true learners is, you know, Can my ideology, can my belief be challenged without me getting mad or being threatened? Can I listen to understand? As you can probably imagine, I spend a lot of time in the Bible. But how often have I learned the most important things, not from just reading a scripture, but from having a conversation with somebody? I often tell my life group, we should have our group before my messages because they they teach me things I don't even think of. My sermons would be 25% better if I had my life group before my sermon because there's always something that comes up that I didn't think of. That's why we believe in small groups here. Ed Stetzer, the author, he's an author and professor at Wheaton College said this, that small groups are the key to combating and changing the epidemic of biblical illiteracy. Did Did you hear that? He's saying that small groups are the key to undoing biblical illiteracy. You would think it's just read my Bible, right? Our research shows that as Christians increase their participation in small groups, their Bible engagement scores go up. So being in a group or something similar to that, if it's not formal, isn't just about talking about a verse, it's how we bring scripture to bear on our lives. It informs how we live our lives and how we think about things in the world. And that intentional discussion with people who of like-minded faith allows us to learn from other perspectives. It enables us to learn from other people's experiences and to learn things that others know that I do not know yet. You ever, you know, when you went to college, if you did, you remember some of those professors would just give you assigned reading and then um, and that would be it and you'd take the test. I was always grateful for a few of those classes. But in the, in, the, in the courses where the professor, not only did you have readings, but then when you came to class, you talked about it in that classroom. You listened to the professor talk about it, and then you talked about it as students. And lots of questions got asked, probably some that you didn't even think about. In what environment did you learn the most? I would... I would venture to say it was an environment where you processed with other people. So if we're going to add knowledge to our faith, we need people. And I hear people, I hear Christians say, you know, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. I don't need the church. Or some say I need it, but never access it. You know, that is the furthest thing from the truth. And if, you're, if right now you can't be in a small group, that's fine. Find another way to process your faith with someone, with your spouse, with someone in your neighborhood, with a friend, and make it intentional. And if they're different than you, that's even better. If they challenge your thinking, don't let them frustrate you. Learn from them. And maybe deepen your roots on the thing that you're talking about. Number three. You guys still with me? Wave. Okay. Okay. Uh, Number three is serving. Now, see, doesn't it get less and less obvious here? The Bible, people, we're talking about knowledge. How does serving give me knowledge? By that, when I say serving, I don't just mean be a volunteer, sign up somewhere at church, but that's a good way, no doubt. See, people tend to think about knowledge is only taking in information in a class or listening to a message or reading the Bible. But that's short-sighted when it comes to gaining the kind of knowledge that Peter's talking about here. Look at it this way. How many of you are teachers? Raise your hand. Come on. A lot of teachers. Raise them way up. I love teachers. You guys have, you are, as I've said often from this space, teachers and coaches are the real pastors in our community because you are right there. I hope I get to keep my job after saying that, but. So those of you that are teachers, you went to college, right? What else did you do? You had all these readings and you had classes and you talked about these things in your course. How many of you who are teachers did student teaching as part of your education? Raise your hand. Virtually all of you, right? Some of you have given up on raising your hand. It's like you're afraid you're gonna go charismatic or something, I mean. (laughs) So, when you did your student teaching, did you gain knowledge by doing that? By just doing what you'd been taught? Of course you did. How many of you would say, of teachers, put put your right hand up if you're a teacher. Okay, come on. This is the participation part of the message. Okay. How many of you would say that you learned something about teaching just by teaching. Put your left hand up. Put both hands up, and I'll start going like this. (laughs) See? There you go. Yeah, if you taught five years, 10 years, 15 years, 30 years, you know way more about teaching than, than when you got out of college, hopefully. So you get what I'm saying, that virtually every vocation has an information part, but then it also has an application part. And it's in the doing that we learn. In fact, be honest, how many of you would say that whether you went through a vocational program or you went to college, that in the job that you do right now, you have learned more by doing that job than you actually did in learning about it? Just beyond like how many of you? Yeah. Conversely, How many of you have had ideas, perhaps really strong ideas and opinions, about a job that you never did? Don't raise your hand on that part. And then you did it, and you said, boy, I didn't know. Raise your hand on that. Exactly. We think we know. So doesn't that tell us like, how much we learn just from doing stuff? And here's the thing. Jesus used serving as a learning tool. Serving changed the world. Like the stuff that Jesus did, the stuff, the stuff that Christian people are doing today, it impacts the world, but it impacts us as well. It impacted the disciples. He's still doing this. He's still using serving our brothers and sisters to give us the knowledge that we need. He taught them. After teaching, he asked them questions. Do you understand? And they mainly didn't, right? And then he sent them out. Try this. They come back. Didn't go good. Okay, try this. And it was a constant flow of him watching what they did and coaching them up or sending them out on their own and coming back and processing it. And all the time, Jesus is modeling it for them. That was how Jesus was growing his disciples. That's how they were gaining the knowledge that Peter is talking about. Serving is definitely for the benefit of others, but when we serve, it's also how we gain knowledge. And that might be one of the reasons why James wrote, faith without deeds is dead. It's not just dead for you. It's dead for others as well. So if you really want to acquire knowledge so that you have a vibrant and fruitful faith, Think about these things. Teach or serve in children's ministry. I don't need to ask people to raise their hands, but it's like if you have been serving in children's ministry, has God been giving you knowledge? He sure has. If you teach the lesson and you put any time into it before you went up there, didn't you learn way more than the kids? Even if it was just like a kid's lesson? What have you learned by getting on your knees to get at eye level with the child? What kind of knowledge is Jesus giving you through doing that? What about being an usher or a greeter? Is there any knowledge in that? This isn't just an infomercial. Stick with me here, folks. Like, don't you learn to, to see people? Don't you learn to extend yourself, maybe especially if it's a little difficult for you to talk to people? If you lead a life group, aren't you learning things? About people, you're learning how to shepherd people and guide them in their thoughts. If you sort food, at community mission of hope, or you sit and you, with someone who is homeless or is like, you know, like struggling, isn't God teaching you something in that moment? If you sit down with someone from a different generation, if you're older and you sit down with a younger person, or if you're younger and you seek out someone older, isn't that like, aren't you learning? If you're a table leader with mops, isn't God teaching you stuff that you never knew before? You can, what, if you, what if you just say, I'm going to be generous to people. I'm going to be generous. And you, take, you deny some of your things that you're just really focused on and use some of those resources to help other people or to support your church. Will God teach you something through that? Of course he will. How many of you here this morning would say, I've gained knowledge from serving in some way? Raise your hand. Okay. Last one, but kind of related, but different. Number four, source of knowledge, experience. It's kind of related to what we've been saying, but I want to I pull it out in a different way. Because we think about knowledge as Christians as, or discipleship, um, as learning about the Bible solely. And it is learning about the Bible. But I love what Jed says. He says everything is our discipleship, everything is a way for God to put into our lives, everything is a place, is a way for God to give us knowledge the kind of knowledge that Peter is talking about. In other words, knowledge is more than Bible verses or theology or groups or serving. There's just, there isn't anything that goes on in your life that if you allow it to be, it can be a source of knowledge if we're paying attention. Can you think of an experience that you've had that you'd say, man, I sure gained some knowledge through that experience or experiences. I can think about my career in the fire service and 14 years as a captain, just by showing up. I didn't even have to be that smart. Just by showing up, I saw so many scenes that like it, I acquired experience and knowledge. I know what to do here. I've been here. I've done this a 100 times. What about in your marriage? You took your premarital class, and you got married, and you went on your honeymoon, and you started fighting right away. <laughs> I know, because Cindy was really difficult on our honeymoon. No, the first Elise Spinks fight was on my honeymoon, wasn't it? You couldn't record them back then, so I had to watch it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Hasn't God taught you through your marriage like more about him? Haven't you gained knowledge just as a Christian, not just about marriage, certainly about marriage, but haven't you gained knowledge from that? That's an experience. How about parenting? Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if you learned on the first child and then it all applied? It's like, come on, Lord, just make them all the same so that they fit in the program, you know, for me. And it's like, but you've, you had all these ideas about what parenting was all about, and then you became a parent. You were an expert until you had children. Your life wasn't going to be chaotic, and every, the kids were just going to do what you asked them to do without, you know, you yelling and throwing stuff at them. And, like, here you are you know it's like we learn not just how to be a better parent but isn't God growing you through parenting or your job how many of you've been on a missions trip and it was all about going there and doing a thing and helping those people over there but who was really blessed who who really learned on the trip i mean i did Can you see how important, then it is, that knowledge comes from experience, that we have these experiences, and we put ourselves in the place to have them? You know, the first century church leaders often prayed. In fact, I would make a case that this was the thing that they most often prayed for, that the early Christians would gain knowledge. Here's one from Philippians 1.9 from the Apostle Paul. Here's my prayer. He said, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. How does more and more knowledge happen? See, knowledge is not just a measure of the accumulated information that we have. Pursuing knowledge is not an end goal. It's a posture for the Christian." So, adding knowledge isn't just accumulating information, but it's being teachable. Hey, everybody, it's Brit again. That's Thanks for of listening. That's true. All of us, even if, if we're you an need something, in field. if you have a question, or you just like us to you, pray for because you, because we can utilize all the things that we've talked about today. You can read your Bible every church. day. Word. You can have people on we your hope life, in your life, be again in multiple next week, groups. But in the meantime, you can serve keep and you can live life apologies. and have all kinds of experiences, but never gain any knowledge. As Peter put it, you could be stuck. Paul described that condition to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.7. He said, there are some who are always learning, always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth, always taking in information, but somehow it never shapes them. Because we lose our malleability, we lose our ability to be shaped by what God is doing in our life today It's good that we stand on the things that we knew and learned before, but God is constantly shaping us, is he not? That's the kind of knowledge that Peter is talking about here. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And as they come up, I just want to say that this is, I think this is why Peter can so emphatically say that if we pursue these seven virtues, we will be effective and fruitful. We will have a vibrant faith because i mean how true is it like if we're in a conflict we start to think about all the ways that we've been hurt we start to think about we blame we like we try we try to like add up you know like i did more than them what if instead we looked at it as an opportunity to grow goodness in us what if instead we we focused on these virtues that Peter's talking about. And that conflict is just the crucible or the place which God can teach us. What if, as a parent, we've already talked about it, it's like it just feels so overwhelming, and you know, you're having escape fantasies, and you know, you're thinking about just keeping them out in the backyard and letting them drink out of the hose for a few days. But like, what if that situation? As a place where God is teaching you perseverance, and you're saying, "You know, this is a temporary thing. It only lasts 20 years." So, <laughs> but you can grow through it, right? What if, what, what if, what if anything? What if any challenge that comes our way that we we're trying to stand on our faith in the midst of it, and Peter's words kind of like ringing our ears. I'm standing on my faith. But what's happening now, what's going to happen tomorrow, is an opportunity for me to show goodness. To grow goodness in my own heart as we talked about so that it can come out. To gain knowledge. For God to shape me and to teach me things about what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what is not so good in this situation so that I'm more like Jesus. What if God is teaching me self-control or mutual affection in the tension that I'm experiencing in my relationships? And rather than just like, you know, trying to just grin and bear it, like, it's something that God is using to grow us. If we, if we take that posture, you know what we're really doing? We're, we're developing the character of Christ in our lives. And everything, as this guy says, everything is our discipleship. So it is that opportunity for us to be formed into the image of Christ and reflect that in the world. Let's do that.